0: Diving deep into the Red Sox, it's a Red Sox review. Here's Brian Barrett on WEEI. Oh, man, the Red Sox needed that one. Big win tonight. And I'm not even saying that as, like, being sarcastic or anything along those lines. They needed this win. And clearly what we found out tonight, is very important for this team to have its manager. I usually poo-poo the idea of a manager in baseball. Core is different, and we saw that in the postseason in eighteen, and we saw it in the postseason last year. I mean, the numbers don't lie. This team is seven and six when Alex Cora manages this year. They're one and five when Will Renicky manages. I mean, that guy couldn't run his nose. I mean, how about the other day? He's doing the pregame show with Joe Castiglione, and Joe mentions the fact that hey, last time you guys mentioned that you found something with Nick Pavetta's mechanics. Do you think you did? And he says, I don't know. I mean, look, I understand. He's not involved with the pitchers on a daily basis, but at least say, yeah, I think we found something. Dave found something. I mean, what kind of answer is that? And look, he's not supposed to be managing the team. He was the interim manager when, not even the interim manager, he was filling in for Alex Cora because Cora was dealing with COVID and he had to miss a bunch of games. But clearly this team needs its manager. And I really do look back at that game. And I know Cora, he was on with Merloni and Fourier today. And he stuck up for Will Venable where he said, yeah, it's a lot easier to make those decisions on the couch when he was referring to Ivaldi getting lifted in that game because they like the pocket for Strom, which is just absolutely a joke to me. Nathan Evaldi is the best starting pitcher on this team. Well, actually, he is by reputation. Michael Walker has been way better than Nathan Evaldi this season. There's no way around it. You're looking at a guy in Walker that's gone 20 and a 30. He's given up four earned runs. Nathan Avaldi's given up seven home runs. So Walker's been better than Avaldi, but you get the point. Avaldi is supposed to be the guy that is the horse of this pitching staff. And Will Venable the other day takes him out of the game in favor of Matt Strom. And look, Strom was a nice signing for this team. I don't dislike Strom as a pitcher, but I just look at the opportunity when you have Nathan Evaldi that was at 78 pitches, the lowest he's thrown all season long, the bottom of the lineup is coming up, send Nathan Avaldi back out there. I don't care about the third time through. He already went through the top of the order the third time through. He went through Bichette. He went through Vladimir Guerrero Jr. He went through their big guns. So this whole idea of, okay, well, yeah, this is a pocket that they had planned for Strom. Okay, that makes sense before the game. But what you have to do is you have to alter your thought process. And look, Will Venable, he was in a really difficult situation. He managed, what, two games last year, whatever it was, maybe one game when Alex Cora went to his daughter's graduation. So the overwhelming point about all this is I don't want to criticize Will Venable too much, but you can't dismiss the fact that Cora not being available for this team in critical games clearly hurt them. No no way about it. And I'm not blaming anybody for it. I'm just saying that Cora being absent clearly affected this team. All right. So if you want to weigh in on Michael Walker's outing, what do you make about the progress that he's made this season? Do you actually have to give Bloom credit for something? Because you know me last night, I was absolutely crushing Bloom for the lack of moves in the bullpen, the lack of a real reliever that you could depend on. So do you give Bloom credit for the Walker thing? Okay, two other things on the table that are going to be on the table all night long. I've seen enough of Bobby Dahlback. Is it time for Tristan Cassis? Do you want Tristan Cassis up with this organization right now? That's on the table all night, and there is one big, massive flaw that this Red Sox team has. We'll get into that, and also this, the Xander Bogart situation. He is now hitting 397. I have changed my mind on what the Red Sox should do long-term with Bogarts, and I want to know what you think. What will the Sox do with Bogarts? 617 779 is the number, but before we go any further, we promised you we're going to bring you the manager.
1: We have a good baseball team, and uh, you know, we we will score runs, and we will pitch, and we play good defense. Uh, today was a good all-around game. Um, you know, their guy threw the ball well. Uh, Michael was outstanding, uh, giving us six innings, and uh, the bullpen did an amazing job. Uh, you guys have been careful with Michael this year. What what did, allowed you to think
2: that uh, the sixth inning was a good one for him? I
1: don't think it's careful. I think uh, it just happens that in the starts, that you know, he's had, you know, there were some pockets that we felt that we, we needed to be aggressive, but, uh, you know, the, the way they set up, um, you know, we felt like he was good going there, having the lefty ready for Tapia, and uh, velocity was good, location was good, he didn't make too many mistakes, I was telling him that the biggest pitch of the night was actually a 3-2 fastball to Collins, you know, we're you're, you're up two, we don't want to walk people, he went right after it, you know, he a deep fly ball to right, we, we got him out, and then, he was very aggressive with Chapman and Tapia, and, and he gave us enough.
2: What about the night offensively and those runs scoring and he's been able to keep the line moving?
1: Um, I mean, they've swung the bat well in, in Tampa, hit the ball hard, and uh, they've done so far here in Toronto. And, and we will score runs, you know, but we have to be patient. You know, we got to use the the other side of the field, stand inside the baseball, you know, take the little things for now. And uh, when we get locked in, then the fun starts, right? Uh, but right now you got to think small, you know, uh, get guys over Get him in. I think we've done an outstanding job hitting the ball in the air with men at third. Uh, Jackie with the bunt, uh, Bobby with the sack fly. So uh, it was a good all around game. And, um, you know, we got a chance tomorrow to split the series against them and move forward. So, you know, we got Garrett on the mound and the bullpen is rested. So it should be, you know, uh, a good competitive game. There have
2: been many games lately where you guys have kind of kept adding on uh, throughout the night. You know, how nice was it just to. Yeah,
1: we, we know we're gonna hit we know that you know and uh it was good to grind in there with us uh with them and uh, then add on and add on and that's what it's all about you know the fact that we 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 brought in shriver in that spot and then you know we can use him tomorrow because we we add on and that's how you win series that he how you split series right and uh you know, I think the offense little by little is gonna is gonna come back to life and you know everything will be back to normal. Xander's yeah,
2: the one the one guy who's kinda of been hitting, but you know, how much fun is it to see him when he's on one of these kind of runs? Yeah, I mean
1: uh, uh, he's off tomorrow by the way. Uh you know, there's a lot of running, a lot of moving around and obviously playing the turf and we're we're playing for one sixty two plus here. But uh, you know, the first few uh games, he didn't look right. Uh, I, somebody asked a question about contracts and all that stuff, man, this guy's a pros, you know. Uh, they know what it's all about, and uh, he's a guy that uh, his track record speaks for itself, you know. Uh, you look up today, and uh, there was something about war, offensive war the last since 2018, and he's trouting him. So we know the track record, we know the player, and uh, he's doing an amazing job taking what they give him. Uh, I was joking with him, well, if they're going to keep shifting you, for the batting title he's like no i'm gonna hit homers too so you know uh he's he's just a, such a good player such an offensive threat you know he can pull it for power he can go the other way for singles and i'm glad that he's playing for us
2: jd was that just uh get him off his of feet
1: just a little bit banged up yeah i mean obviously he missed a few games so we got to be careful you know there's been a lot of games on the turf you know this is what uh six in a row so we have to be careful with these guys you
3: think he'll
1: be in there for uh we'll see how he feels in the morning and we go from there
0: All right, that was Alex Cora after the game tonight. If you want to react to anything the manager says, certainly welcome to do so at 617-779-7937. Don't love the fact that Bogarts isn't playing tomorrow. Like, I understand what is doing. I mean, Bogarts mentioned it to Joe and Will after the game that it's tiring playing out there on the turf. They just played in Tampa. They're now in Toronto. They gave Rafael Devers the day off yesterday. Now, we didn't get an update there. I don't know why nobody asked him about J.D. Martinez, so we didn't get an update on J.D. Martinez. Hopefully somebody will have that later on because nobody at the game or nobody covering the team asked him about, I would have no idea why nobody would ask him about J.D. Martinez. You could see him talking to the training staff in the dugout after or during the end of the game there. So I have no idea why he wasn't asked that particular question. But if we find anything out about J.D. Martinez, I thought we'd find it out there. We'll certainly pass it along with you throughout the night. 617 779 the number. So I do want to get into the Bogart situation And how is this team going to let Bogarts get to free agency? We know he has an opt-out. But at this particular point in time, with a lot of the negative energy around this team, does Heinblum need to go to Scott Boris and Bogarts now and make up for the offer that was reported in the New York Post, what, about two and a half weeks ago, where we found out the offer that Bogarts was given or the offer that was made to Bogarts was just an additional $30 million. And if you do the math on it, in terms of the annual average value on the contract, it'd be less than Trevor Story, which is a slap in the face to Xander Bogarts, who is the face of this organization. So do the Red Sox need to try to make a better offer to Bogarts now? Can they wait and let him opt out of the contract? There's a lot of stuff that goes into this in terms of the defense, and I'll get into that in greater detail, but they got to do it now. They have to make up for some of this bad PR. You can't have that be the final offer that was given to Xander Bogarts. And the fact that, It was never refuted, right? People have had plenty of opportunities to refute this. Bloom was on the Greg Hill Show right after this came out. Curtis asked him, why would you offer a contract to somebody that you knew they weren't going to sign? He didn't directly answer the question. He tiptoed around it. So that's what makes me think, if this offer is out there, we all know the Red Sox are concerned about PR. So if this offer was out there and it wasn't real, they would have denied it. So they have got to do something now. Bogarts is hitting 397. He is carrying this team offensively. He's the face of the organization. You have got to do something with this guy. And look, if you offer him something and he doesn't want to take it, okay, fine. But at least make him a legitimate offer. This is really starting to irk me. This is really starting to piss me off that they didn't actually make this guy a real contract offer. And I know all the defensive numbers. I've given them to you before. I've given them to you you before, but right now it's about the bat with Bogarts. Can you lose the bat? And here's the thing about the defense real quickly. So, Xander Bogarts is not a great defensive shortstop. He's not going to be a defensive shortstop long-term. You have that conversation in a couple of years. What you're paying for is the bat. You just heard the manager. If that was ever a cry to the front office or at least a message to the front office, this guy's not distracted by his contract. He referenced offensive war, him and Mike Trout being the highest guys over the past three or four years, whatever it was. Cora didn't even know exactly what he was referring to, but he was just he knew that somebody told him this and he was gonna put it out there. He wants the player sign. It would just be a really bad look. The Mookie situation is one thing. And I look, I fought it a little bit because I totally understand where the Red Sox are coming from. You look at the defensive metrics, they're not good. He was second to last among shortstops last year and outs above average. One of the worst shortstops in terms of defensive run saves. I get all that. But here's the thing I'll tell you. Right now, Xander Bogarts, out of 34 qualified shortstops, he is 26th and outs above average. Tied for 25th, I should say. Negative 2. Right? Not good. I mean, you look at Dansby Swanson. He leads all the baseball at 4. But here's the thing. The Red Sox have actually been a good defensive team. In fact, I would argue that Story was a problem tonight. I mean, twice in that inning, couldn't get the ball out of his damn glove. You look at the Red Sox this season, you know what the Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox, ranked in defensive run saved right now. Third, they are second in the American League. So the Red Sox have actually been a really good defensive team. So yes, Xander Bogarts is never going to be a great defensive shortstop. He's never going to be Dan Swanson. He may age out of the position. He's never going to be Carlos Correa. But you know what he is? An elite bat and an elite leader. And from a PR perspective, this would be an absolute nightmare for this Red Sox organization. Absolute nightmare. And here's the other thing I just can't understand about this team right now is, and really more, this is a bigger, broader topic as it pertains to the organization in general. Somebody needs to a- answer this question for me at 617-779-7937. If you weren't going to give Devers a contract extension this offseason, if you weren't going to give Bogarts a contract extension this offseason. Well, why didn't you spend more money than just the contract for Trevor Story? See, that's what's so perplexing to me about everything that's going on. And I've defended Heimblum. He was great at the trading deadline last year. Schwarber best bat. Yeah, you had to wait for it, but he was the best bat. Then you look at Robles. Unbelievable for this team last year down the stretch in the bullpen. I've defended him on multiple occasions. You know this. But if you weren't going to get those guys done in terms of the contract extension, what the hell were you doing? Okay, Matt Strom cost you nothing, and Jake Diekman is a reliever you come up with. And look, Waka definitely hit. I told you, that was definitely a hit for Bloom Nobody's denying that, and a reasonable deal you got that guy at as well. Rich Hill was the other guy, and then the big bullpen move you make is Jake Diekman. And here's the issue I have as it pertains to the bullpen. Look, it worked tonight. They got through it great. Here's the issue I have with the bullpen. We all knew, every single one of us knew the bullpen was an issue last year. Now, the thing about Heim Bloom is his manager bailed him out in the postseason last year. And down the stretch of the regular season, his manager bailed him out. Remember what the Red Sox did at the end of the season. They put Tanner Houck into the bullpen. Remember what the Red Sox did in the postseason. They put Nick Pavetta in the bullpen. Cora did the same thing back in 2018 when this team won the World Series. So, Cora was the one that sort of hid some of the issues that this team had in the bullpen as we got down the stretch of the season and as we got into the postseason. Cora did that, not Bloom. Now, yes, he gave him one really good reliever in Hansel Robles. I'm not denying that. Robles, you know I love Robles. He's been really good for this team really ever since he signed with or was traded from Minnesota with this organization, and it was a steal that all they had to give or give this guy in the offseason was $2.2 million on a minor league cut. Fantastic. Minor league cut, great. I don't know why the guy didn't have a bigger market. Great find. But here's the issue I continually come back to with Bloom: Why didn't you spend more money on the bullpen? You, you weren't negotiating with Xander. What we found out was you offered him just $30 million in one extra year. You weren't negotiating with Rafael Devers. <laughs> We all found out from Rod Bradford that was down there, the first time they approached Devers about a contract extension was right before the season. Never has Heimblum in this front office went to Devers with any sort of offer. Devers said it to Rob Bradford. They've never offered him anything. So this is the issue I come back to. What were they doing if they weren't negotiating with Devers, if they weren't negotiating with Bogarts, other than Trevor's Story, which apparently is going to save their ass if Xander Bogarts leaves, which I don't really believe at this particular point in time it's going to save their ass. But if that's the one thing you did this offseason, I don't understand what you were doing with the time. You were looking at Matt Strom. That's what you were doing. You were looking at Jake Diekman, who had a 13% walk rate last year, which was 125th out of 144 qualified relievers. And the guy's been an absolute puddle for this team. Congratulations. Got out of the inning tonight. He blew the game last night. We all know that. I mean, he was atrocious. I mean, what a crazy concept. Throw a fastball to George Springer, who eats fastballs. Threw him four consecutive fastballs. You think that's a good idea? Who the hell would ever think that's a good idea? You go back to opening day against the Yankees. Hits DJ LeMahieu. The guy's been an absolute mess for this team. We all got caught up, and I was guilty of this as well. The guy was nasty on Sunday Night Baseball. So that's the big move other than Trevor Story. That's the other big move that blue made this offseason. See, it would be one thing if they didn't do a lot and Bogarts got extended. Or they didn't do a lot and Rafael Devers got ex- extended, then I could understand where the organization was coming from. But right now, the fact that you don't have Bogart signed, he has an opt-out, you don't have Devers signed, he's under club control for only next season and the season after that. And if you go into the final season and you don't have a deal done with Devers, you're screwed. I mean, how the hell are you going to get a deal done? Oh, well, wait until you're not going to get it done if you wait till free agency. That's the problem. And the problem with the Devers situation is this should have already been done. And look, I know Devers has struggled lately, but he's going to have a good season. For the most part, he's been good this year. A lot of hard hit balls. The problem with Devers is he's too many balls in the ground. The ground ball rate is over 54% in his last like 10 games or so. Prior to that, it was about 40%. That's the problem with it. He just got to elevate the ball. In the past couple of nights, pinch hitting last night and then a couple of hits tonight, the double that drove it a run to get things going for the Sox. So Devers is going to be fine. We know that he's only 25 years old. The guy's going to be an elite hitter. In this sport for a long time. His one issue is he swings at too many pitches out of the zone. I gave you the numbers on that before. Okay. The chase rate is way up for Devers. It's always going to be up. But at some point, it's getting ridiculous. Okay. But that's going to be harness. He's going to be fine. So the, my whole thing with this is it would have been okay. Like I could have given him a pass, Bloom, if he got one of those guys signed long term. But I just don't understand what the organization, and it's not just Bloom. it's the people working for him as well. I just don't understand what they were doing this offseason. It doesn't make sense to me. If you're not signing your, go- your guys, what were you doing? All your energy was on Trevor Story, one guy? That you were switching his position? That's the only thing you were doing, basically, him and J- Jake Diekman. It's just unbelievable to me. All right, the other thing I want to get to, and by the way, you can weigh in if you want, on the Bogart situation. Do you see Bloom getting a deal done with Xander Bogarts at any point? Or are you now at the point that you just know that he's leaving? 617 779 the number. The reason I bring it up is it's four hits today. And Bogarts is having, hey, this is the perfect opportunity for Bogarts. And he's always been a quick starter in April. But he's going into a contract year. He's hitting three ninety seven. He has 23 hits now over his last 11 games, the most in baseball. He's absolutely raking right now. And you hear him talk with Joe and Will after the game. This is a guy that wants to be with the organization. See, that's the thing that is so off-putting with the fake offer that they made to Xander Bogarts, right? We all knew that Mookie wanted to go to the highest bidder. Mookie wanted to get to free agency. We all knew that, right? I mean, Mookie went out there at the All-Star game, and he made it out like, oh, yeah, I love Boston. Remember that? He said he loved Boston. Eh, Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I always felt that Mookie was going to get to free agency, and then the pandemic hit, so he signs with the Dodgers. I totally understood, and I could rationalize why the organization did that. Mookie's contract is going to be a bad contract. Okay, Mookie's already aging. Mookie already isn't the same player that he was in previous seasons. In fact, he is off to an absolutely atrocious start this season. He has not been the same player that we've seen in previous seasons. So I can rationalize, and I can come to grips with that one. I'm okay with it. And by the way, Verdugo's a really good player. I mean, outside of Bogarts, he's been the second-best offensive player on this team. And we'll see what Wong is. And... That's another thing I want to get into tonight with the Vasquez situation. That guy is a mess behind the plate right now. This team is 4-1 and with Puecki. They're 3-9 and with Vasquez when he catches. So maybe give Wong an opportunity to get some extended time at the Major League level because I just don't know what Vasquez does for you. He doesn't hit. He's bad behind the plate. I could give you the framing numbers. He's atrocious in terms of framing. Never been good framing. And not to mention the fact that he's not the same defensive catcher that he once was. So that's what I come back to is... Just this whole idea of the fact that this team long term, they have so many questions. The catcher is a question, as we mentioned. Like, Plawecki's not an everyday catcher because he can't throw the ball. But when I look at the Bogarts and the Devers things in particular, I just, my biggest issue right now with Haim Bloom is you didn't do anything, really. You got Trevor Story, and you got Jake Diekman. Walk a nice pickup. But if you weren't going to sign these guys, you needed to improve the ball club in other areas, and I just felt like you didn't do it. Vasquez has been a problem behind the plate for now two years, almost two and a half years, going back to the COVID year. And you were supposed, you thought that okay, maybe you can upgrade that. They kicked the tires on a couple of guys around the league. They never pulled anything off with that, so you didn't improve a catcher. You wanted to give Dahl back another opportunity. I've seen enough. I'll get into Dahl back in just a little bit. Here. It's time to bring up Cassis. There's no way around it. Right, Dahl back's not hitting. He had one good month last year. What the month of? Other than that, the, the guy has not been good. So you want to give him another chance. I'm sorry. Like, this is the American League East. The American League East. You're 8-11 and 11 in the American League East. It's not good enough. He's not getting it done. Get him the hell out of here and get Christian Cassis up at the big club. That's the reality of it, okay? Right field situation, I know they were in on Suzuki. The reality is they didn't land him, okay? So, look, I can be okay with two positions not hitting. Most teams don't have nine guys that hit. But the problem is first base right now. You need something at first base. You need offensive production at first base. And you have, from an offensive standpoint, the worst first baseman in Major League Baseball. The guy does nothing for you whatsoever. So at some point, you have to say, the Bobby Dahlback thing, we're done with it. You're not going to get any value for the guy. We're past that point. You think all of a sudden Bobby Dalback's going to have The month of May is going to be like the month of August. I don't want to wait around for that. What I know is the number one prospect in your organization is down at the minor league level, and he's absolutely raking. You know what I want the Red Sox to do? Win games, bring Cassis up. Cassis actually walks too, which would be great on this team because nobody else walks. So there there needs to be. Some motivation for this team to try to win now. Based on the offseason, which absolutely sucked, as we're now finding out, there needs to be some pressure on this team to win now. The manager's trying to do it. I mean, how about the time he brought out Whitlock, what was it, uh, last week to close a game because he felt like, hey, I need to go for the win. The manager, there's urgency with the manager. There needs to be urgency with the front office. And that urgency needs to be, Trish and Cassis, get up here. We need the bat. Enough of Bobby. You want to just keep trotting this guy out here? Have him be a dead out every game? I mean, it's ridiculous to me. You know that you have one of the best prospects in the damn sport at the minor league level. Go get him. Bring him up. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. All right, so a lot on the table tonight. What do you make of this Walker performance? It's four starts. Are you starting to buy this is who he is the rest of the season? Numbers weren't great in the first half of last season, really good the second half. It seems like the Red Sox got that guy. Good, fine. What the hell is Hein Bloom doing with both the Bogarts and the Devers situation? Tristan Cassis, does he need to be up with this team? And also, Ploecki, do they need to play him more? I know he's not a great hitter, I know he doesn't have a great arm. But Vasquez can't call a game. Does Ploiecki need to play more? We'll get into all that next year on EEI. Diving deep into the Red Sox, it's a Red Sox review. Here's Brian Barrett on WEEI. All right, welcome back in. We are with you until midnight. So just to finish off the Bobby Doll back point. And then we'll get to some of you guys in terms of your thoughts on the Bogarts and Devers situation and Christian Vasquez. Does Ploiecki need to get more time? All that on the table at 617-779-7937. Just real quickly on Bobby Dahlback. We thought, okay, cut down some of the swing and miss stuff. I know we heard all about what was going on at spring training. Oh, he's not striding with two strikes. Okay, well, if he's not striding with two strikes, it's not working. So, I was open to it at the beginning of the season. All right, he had a good August. Give him an opportunity. Fine. Well, it didn't work. He's not hitting. He's still swinging and missing as much as he's ever had. In fact, he's worse than he was last year when it comes to just pure swinging and missing. The strikeout number's down a little bit, but it's not like they're good. He's still striking out a ton. Here's the thing about Dollback. So, tonight, four swings, two whiffs, or I should say, Two whiffs on five swings because he had that uh, he had that nice sack fly. Congrats to Bobby D. On the season, coming into tonight, Bobby Dahlback on pitches he was swinging at, he was whiffing 36.8% of the time. That was 170th in Major League Baseball. 170th. His called strike plus whiff rate. I know that sounds complicated. It's very easy. How often are you getting a called strike or are you swinging and missing? Bobby Dahlback? 35% of the time, 180th out of 184 players. He swings and misses almost as much as anybody in the sport. If you combine that with the called strikes, there is only, what, four guys worse than him in all of Major League Baseball in terms of called strikes or swinging strikes. There's four total guys in baseball worse than Bobby Dalback. He is not an elite center fielder. Or an elite catcher. He is a bad defensive first baseman. In fact, last year, he ranked last among all first basemen, all qualified first basemen in defensive runs saved at negative seven. So he is a liability defensively, and he doesn't hit. Somebody has to answer me this question. Why is he the first baseman still? It's time to give Christian Cassis that opportunity. This whole idea... And I totally disagree with Brad Fall on this because he mentioned it multiple times on the pregame show before he went down with COVID. Hopefully, he'll be back this weekend. But the whole idea of, well, we saw it with Yohan Mankata. We've seen guys come up and then they... Well, okay. Jaron Duran is not that good of a player. Jaron Duran is older than Rafael Devers. Okay? Bobby dollback is older than Rafael Devers. Cassis is a young player. The guy has all the tools besides speed. I mean, you've seen the guy. He's absolutely massive. But at what point do we look at the 2022 version of the Red Sox and say, well, we should probably be all in. Bogarts could opt out, which at this point it's going to happen unless the Red Sox blow them over with a crazy offer. Devers under club control for two more years. They haven't talked with Nathan Avaldi, their best starting pitcher entering the season right now, their second best starting pitcher. So this team could look a whole lot different in 2023. And they're not all in right now. They owe it to Bogarts. They owe it to Nate. They owe it to these guys that were World Series champions to put the best players on the field with them. And Bobby Dalback I'm sorry. He shouldn't be playing first base for the Boston Red Sox. He shouldn't. First base is an offensive position. He shouldn't be playing first base because he sucks there defensively. And more importantly, he ain't hitting. Like, if he was this bad in the field, and we've already seen him multiple times, right? I mean, think about that game on Saturday night. That was way more on Dahlback than it was Story. I mean, look, Story needs to make a better throw, and there's been some issues with Story defensively, but Bobby Dahlback's has got to make that play. No way around it. Bobby Dahlback has got to find a way to make that play, and he didn't do it. He didn't do it. So he's hurting you defensively, and he's not giving you anything offensively. He's a negative player on defense and on offense, so what the hell are you doing? Get Tristan Cassis the hell up here. 617-779-7937 the number. Let's kick it off tonight with Alex. He is in Connecticut. Alex, how are you, my friend?
4: Hi, Brian. Um, more calm tonight, you know, a little bit happier. Unfortunately, the reality is Xander's going to be gone. I mean, let's face it, you know, Story was the cost cutting measure to fill in the shortstop spot. Uh, well, what I'm afraid of, I'm <clears> in <throat> such a bad position with Devers. I kind of, there's a part of me that wants Devers just to have a mediocre year. Because I'm, I I think it's a better shot to, to to be able to keep him if we really wanted him. Because if he has a really good season, I, I think he ends up going to the Mets. You know, I'm, I'm thinking the Mets. I'm scared of the Mets because their third baseman only Escobar only signed a two year deal for ten million each, and they're gonna yeah, and Robbie Cano's twenty four million is coming off in another year. Yeah, but Alex, when you Alex, if wouldn't you be hold crazy. on, hold on.
0: Alex, would you be more concerned about Bogarts going to the Mets? Look, I understand they have Lindor playing short, but Steve Cohen is the richest owner in baseball. What if he says to Bogarts, hey, I'll give you the most money, you're gonna play third base, but I'll give you more money than anybody else is offering? I'm sure Bogarts will rethink his whole idea of only playing short stuff. I'd be more concerned about that than Devers. And I think if Devers I has agree. a bad Alex, I think if Devers has a bad year, he's not gonna want to play ball or a below average year for him, he's not gonna want to play ball because he's gonna think, okay I can recoup this value in 2023. So I think he's less likely to sign it if he has a down year.
4: Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, you make a good point with uh, Xander because, you know, Cohen, I mean, he's, he's, I mean, I read the papers here, you know, I'm in Southern Connecticut, so I have, you know, I have to listen to all of this all the time. But he's, he's, he is out. I mean, he can't shares of the 43 million. He doesn't care. And so. I know, actually, he really doesn't. You know, I mean, a that's a horrible million.
0: contract. <laughs> he doesn't care. He, he That's why I say it like, <laughs> Not to it, the fans. Yeah, no, I'm with you, Alex. But, I like, if I was a fan of the Mets, I'd love that Steve Cohen owns the team because he just doesn't give a rat's ass. I, if yeah, Steve Cohen exactly. was the owner of the Red Sox, Alex, you know what? Bogarts, it would already be a mandate that guy signed. Devers would already be signed. <laughs> it would already happen.
4: You're absolutely right. And I don't know what we're going to do as fans, you know? I mean, I don't know why Cassis isn't up. I wish somebody would, would you know, would sit down to Bloom, talk to him, ask him these questions, so we as the fan base, we can hear what these answers are going to be.
0: Yeah, and look, Alex, and, and, and I appreciate the call. Cora was on with the guys today on Marloni and Fourier, and he says sometimes it's, you got to look at, to paraphrase what he said, essentially, what happens when the guy struggles. He talked about the fact that he controls the strike zone, and they look at the how he's hitting the ball in terms of the hard hits, etc., stuff along the exit velocity, that type of stuff, to paraphrase what Cora is saying. But this feels like right now, that message, of course, said after the game where he talked about what Bogarts has in terms of his offensive war, it, him and Mike Trout are the two highest in baseball for the last four years or so. This sounds like a manager that is looking out for his players and, B, a manager that we've already seen this year. There's urgency with them, putting Whitlock into that game to close when that wasn't the original plan. There seems to be a real level of urgency with the manager right now. And I'm sure, like he likes Bobby Dollback, but at some point you can't keep trotting the guy out there. And the problem is this: they don't have somebody else they can put out there. <laughs> you can't play Travis Shaw; that guy sucks. Looks like he's swinging a weighted bat. I have no idea why he's on the damn team. You don't have <laughs> you don't have a lefty replacement for Bobby Dollback that can hit against. You don't have it. You legitimately don't have it on the team. So if you really felt that good about Bobby Dollback, that's just a misevaluation by the front office. There's no way you thought he was going to be a major contributor to this team based on what he did in August last year. That's a joke. Let's get to Wally and Fall River. What's up, Wally?
2: What's up, Ryan? Uh, but, no, we really miss Cara. I mean, uh I could have managed better than Will Valdiv, I think. Well, but hold on,
0: Wally. Hold on. Hold on. Let me ask you this. Would you have kept Ivaldian? Uh I would have. Okay, yeah. Then you would have been a better manager. Better
2: manager. Right, because, uh, <laughs> you know, we know what the bullpen is. I mean, it, it's... uh you know, it's like walking a tightrope or playing Russian roulette every night. Uh, but uh, as far as the offseason, I mean, if he would have gone out and got an Iglesias and the McHugh or even Kenley Jansen for one year. But uh, they, like I said, they put all their marbles on Trevor's story. They got JBJ back with his 100 uh, 180 batting average. So, uh, but uh, it would have made a big difference. But you look at the Miami Marlins. Uh, a while, foot they got rid of Stanton and Yellick and Ozuna. That was their outfield. They got rid of yeah. Muto. We have to have building blocks, Brian. Bogey, he's in whatever, you know, I know he wasn't happy with whatever they offered him, but you got to keep Devers and Bogey. You need building blocks. You
0: just can't, you know. Well, and uh, to Wally, I appreciate the call as always. It's a bad message to send to other guys in the organization that – if you perform the way that Xander Bogarts performs, which is a two-time champ, which is one of the best offensive shortstops in baseball, and if you perform the way Rafael Devers performs, like hitting 54 doubles when he's, what, still in his embryonic stages as a baseball player, he's 22 years old, he's hitting 54 doubles. If you don't pay those guys, you don't reward those guys with long-term contract extensions, what are the rest of these guys going to say? These young players that are coming up in the organization. Oh, well, they didn't sign Bogarts. They traded Mookie. They didn't re-sign Rafael Devers. What are they going to do to me? It's just a bad vibe to have around the whole organization. And to Wally's point about they spent all the money on Trevor story, Ryan Tepera is one of the elite relievers in the sport. The guy's given up one hit since opening day. He got two years for 14 mil. The Red Sox could have easily gone after a guy like that. So even with the story deal, I don't want to hear that there wasn't money. there Over the CBT, it doesn't matter. They should have gone out there. There were plenty of relievers on the market. Graveman was available. Tapera was available. Wally mentioned Iglesias was available. All these guys, Colin McHugh played here, or he didn't technically play here because he opted out. Heinblum knows the guy. The problem was they weren't aggressive enough going after a guy like Colin McHugh. So there was, this is like one of the rare years where you had four to five established relievers that were really good, and the Red Sox did nothing to go after those guys. It was just malpractice by the front office. All right, 617. 79-7937 the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. And the reason I say malpractice is because you knew your bullpen wasn't good enough. And you didn't there was all these guys available for you and you didn't go after any of them. It's malpractice. All right, 617-779-7937 is the number. A lot more to get into, including, I will get into the big flaw this Red Sox team has. We'll get to it in just a little bit here on EI. This is Red Sox Review on W E E I. All right, welcome back in, Brian Barrett, with you all the way up until midnight six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven the number. If you want to weigh in on the Bobby Dahlback situation, do you want them to bring up Tristan Cassis now? Are you done with Bobby Dahlback Also on the table, the Bogart situation. With the way that he's sitting right now, with the way that he is clearly the leader of this team, do the Red Sox actually have to go back to him now with a real legitimate offer? Six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven the number. Before I get to the flaw with the team, let's get to Gio in Southfield. What's up, Gio?
5: Personally, but uh, the places they go are, uh, you know, you have real information on sports and you have a good delivery, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, Daubeck, uh they, they should trade him for a an outstanding young catcher who is in the same circumstance he's in. Uh, sort of misplaced with the team that he's in in at the moment. The general manager, the upper management. I was just thinking something aside as I was sitting here. Frank McCourt thought he lost in buying the Red Sox, but he got the Dodgers. Now that didn't work out, but he, I think the people. Yeah, that was the whole situation the league, with his
0: wife, right, Gio
5: Well, eventually, yeah. yes. But, you know, I look back at that now, and I have a totally different impression because uh, I loved the this ownership. When they first came in, they had an open house, and I was looking at them up in uh, Gene Yaki's smoking press box, and I walked down the left field line. The next thing I know, the door opened, rolled up, and they all walked out, yeah. and uh, uh, John Henry shook my hand and said, Hi. Uh, And I said something to him and he said, you know, we have our architect around here someplace we should uh, find her. Somebody find her. You know, uh, from that to uh, him just totally disappearing, there doesn't seem to be any uh, attention. Yeah, look, Gio,
0: I I understand your overwhelming point about. The ownership group, I I feel like it's slightly unfair. Like my whole thing is the reason I brought up the Steve Cohen situation with Alex is just Steve Cohen's crazy. I mean, the guy's the richest owner in the sport, so he's just going to pay anyone, right? He's not even thinking about it from a pure business decision with the players. He doesn't think about that. He's just paying guys. It's very similar to what, for example, Steve Ballmer is doing in the NBA. They're one of the teams that is paying the luxury tax this season the is because of the fact they went at the trading deadline, they picked up guys like Norman Powell. They traded for guys to help their team now when Kawhi Leonard's out for the season. So they just don't care. Guys like Steve Ballmer, guys like Steve Cohen don't care. But when it comes back to this Red Sox ownership group, you have to realize this, or at least this is my, and maybe you disagree with me on this, but this is my hunch with the Bogarts-Devers situation. That decision is high in Bloom's. I truly believe that they are listening to Hein Bloom now, right? And if Hein Bloom is telling them that they shouldn't sign Xander Bogarts and it's a bad idea to sign Xander Bogarts, it appears they're listening to him. That's how I gauge this thing. I believe that if Hein Bloom, because we all know the Red Sox have a ton, of, like, I feel like it's unfair to criticize them financially with what they spend. They're always in the top five in terms of money. They Three years in a row, they had the highest payroll in the sport, right? So I think it's slightly unfair to do that. I think it's more about Heim Bloom and the analytics department there. They're the ones that are looking at this and making the decisions on who to pay and who not to pay. So I feel like it's more about Bloom, et cetera. That's why I think like one of the real critiques I have of Haim Bloom is the way that he – acquires talent for the bullpen. He just looks at traits, right? He looks at the guys. Oh, does he have a slider? If he has a slider, let's get him here. Think about all the guys they signed. Deekman, slider, Strom, slider. They want to have a ton of sliders under the bullpen. Alex has referenced it on multiple occasions. That's what they want. You look at their slider usage this season. It was at 22%, a little under 23%, I should say, last year, about 22.8%. Now it's way up to 28%. They want to throw a ton of sliders. So what they do, and look, it's worked with some guys, right? They identified Hansel Robles, who was having a crappy year with the Twins. And they said, okay, he has a slider. He has high velocity on his fastball. Even though he's walking the ballpark, even though he was one of the worst pitchers in terms of giving up loud contact last year, we can fix him. And they did. But it doesn't always work. Right now, it's not working with Diekman, right? And that's my issue with Bloom, is he doesn't pay for certainty. There were guys that had reputations as certainty out there in terms of the reliever market. He didn't go after any of those guys. Like the guys that we all know that we've seen in the postseason, the Graveman's, the Tapera's. they didn't go after any of those guys. They went after Jake Diekman. That was their prize of free agency as it pertains to the bullpen. That's my irritation. So I don't believe this is an ownership thing. I truly believe that if Bloom went to John Henry and the ownership group in general and he said, hey... Bogarts, we need to sign him to a long-term contract extension. John Henry would sign off on it. I Think about it. They've given out a ton of bad contracts throughout the years. They've signed guys like Carl Crawford. They've given out contracts to David Price. So they've signed bad contracts after bad contracts. Pablo Sandoval, Hanley Ramirez. They've given out a ton of bad contracts. But I think now they're at the stage where they're – enthusiastic about Heimblum's idea about how to rebuild everything, right? And I like a lot of what he's doing. Like, he has rebuilt the farm system. There's no way around it. They went from 20th in Baseball America last year to 11th, or, excuse me, to 9th prior to the season, 11th at the end of last year, 9th by the the time the season started. So I like a lot of what he's doing. I just feel like they had opportunities to improve this team, and they didn't do it. (laughs) If you weren't going to do that, you should have signed Devers or Brogarts. At least do that. Right, At least do that, because right now it feels like they have a lot of balls in the air in terms of what's going into next year. But I did want to pay off what I was mentioning earlier about the flaw that this team has. There's two of them that they really have offensively right now. 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So the first one is this. And it does feel like this is almost on repeat because we witnessed this last year. They don't have production at the bottom of the order. Okay, so if you look at the Red Sox on the season, in the lineup, hitters 7 through 9, they're hitting 161. That is 29th in all of Major League Baseball. Think about that. The Boston Red Sox, 29th in batting average in terms of hitters 7 through 9 in the order. How about on-base percentage, 215? You know what that is? 29th. How about slugging percentage? 222. 30th. Bobby Dahlbeck's supposed to be a guy that hits for power. 7 through 9 in the order, 222 in terms of the slugging percentage, dead last in Major League Baseball. And then OPS, naturally, 437, which means dead last in all of Major League Baseball. So you get that, 29th, 29th, 30th, 30th. 7 through 9 are dead spots in this lineup right now. And that, again, comes back to the whole idea of they didn't do enough in the offseason. And if you were going to ride with Bobby Dahlbeck, it's time to abort that mission right now. All the evidence is there. I gave you the strikeout numbers. I gave you the swing and miss numbers. Now I gave you 7 through 9. We know you're not going to get production out of the catchers. We know you're not going to get production out of right field. Jackie Bradley Jr. is not going to hit. We know those things are not going to happen. The one thing you actually can do right now, there's one thing this team can do right now to get more production 7 through 9 call up Tristan Cassis and the Red Sox have decided they're not doing it for whatever reason right now. They want to see him struggle. And I know that Alex Gore is just trying to say the right things, but it's ridiculous. They He needs to struggle, and then you can find out what, like, he needs to make adjustments. Just get him up here. How about this? Have him make his adjustments at the major league level. I'd be okay with that, would you? And I feel like, is he really that overwhelmed? He's the number one prospect in the organization. Is he going to be so overwhelmed that if he struggles for a while, he struggles for two, two and a half weeks, that he's going to be so in his own head that he can't turn around. If that's the case, he probably doesn't have it to begin with. And I'm not saying that is Tristan Cassis. I'm just laying it out there. I'd rather just go out there, get an opportunity at the major league level, get an opportunity this season, and try to help a team that desperately needs it. And I'm not comparing the two players. I'm not. But do you remember the jolt that the Tampa Bay Rays got last year when they brought up Wander Franco? That team went to a totally different level because all those guys knew, hey, this is – and at that time, that was the number one prospect in the damn sport, and, I mean, we all saw why last weekend and last year, quite frankly, as well. So I understand it's different in terms of – Cassis isn't the top prospect in the – in Major League Baseball period, but all these guys, I'm sure they like Bobby Dollback. They all know he's not good. They've played with him now for two years. They know he's not a good player. It's time to change that position, and that's the only position right now – that you can fix immediately. Now, the Vasquez thing, you could try Connor Wong, but we all know that's not going to be an immediate impact in terms of it's not like Connor Wong's going to hit at a high level. Vasquez has been terrible hitting for years now, but it's not like Connor Wong's this incredible hitting prospect at the catching position. And uh, look, there's not many that are, and I understand all that. I just feel like the Vasquez thing to me, he gives you nothing defensively, he doesn't call a good game. And he doesn't hit. I mean, it's basically the trio of suck. There, there's no way that that guy should still be playing for this team. I'm sorry. I, and look, they tried to look around at the offseason. They couldn't find anything. But at this point, how, why is it? Is it just a coincidence that when Ploeki catches, the team is 4-1? and one, When Vasquez catches, the team is 3-9. and nine, When Juan catches, the team is 1-1. One and one, Is that just a coincidence? Or is it that actually Ploeki calls a better game? If you go back to last season, when... Nick Pavetta, who I give him credit, he battled last night and all that. He still has to figure out what the hell is going on with his command. He really, I mean, this is an issue for him last year. It's worse this year. But Nick Pavetta hasn't once had Ploeki catch him this season. It's been Vasquez every time. Last season, Nick Pavetta had a 2.98 ERA when Ploiecki was his catcher. It was over five. It was actually 5.23 last season when his catcher was Christian Vasquez. So... We all know that Pavetta is a loose cannon on the mound. I thought the pitch cam really screwed with him last night, especially a guy that likes to work fast. That really screwed it up. Apparently he was getting a call for a splitter. He doesn't have a splitter. He doesn't throw a splitter. And they were telling him to throw a splitter based on the pitch comp thing. So clearly Vasquez can't figure that thing out either. So I just look at it in terms of if you're not going to get production from that position in terms of the offense and he doesn't call a good game, why wouldn't you just put the catcher out there that is more comfortable with the pitcher, or that the pitcher is more comfortable with, I should say. The guy that Pavetta is more comfortable with. And I even go back to, like, Ivaldi, for example. Ivaldi, we all know, was the ace of the staff last year. And last year, at one point, <laughs> they made Ploeki his personal catcher. Remember who caught the game against the Yankees, the wild card game? Who caught Nate Ivaldi? Ploiecki. You know why? Because he became Nathan Ivaldi's personal catcher. You know why? Because Ploeki catching Ivaldi 328 ERA. Ploeki, or excuse me, Vasquez catching Avaldi, 477 ERA. So Ploeki does a better job with Nate and he does a better job with Pavetta. So why is Vasquez getting so much more playing time than Ploeki? I get it. Even if you want to just, and look, he had COVID for a little bit, so he missed some time. I just don't understand why we are so enamored with Vasquez and why he has to play way more than Ploeki. It would be one thing, like Plucky doesn't have a great bat. He hits lefties. He's not going to hit for power, but he will hit for average. He hit over 300 against uh, left-handed pitching last year. He's better than Vasquez when it comes to that. So I'm not telling you that plucky's is going to give you anything offensively. And he has a horrible arm. I mean, we've all seen that. I mean, he can barely throw the ball down to second base. But if these pitchers are more comfortable with him, and Vasquez doesn't block anything, he is somebody that doesn't call a good game. He doesn't frame well at all. He's one of the worst framers in the sport if you look at the numbers on it. So when you add all these things up, I just don't understand why that shouldn't give more of an opportunity to a guy like Ploeki who we can all agree with. I mean, you can't argue to the contrary. He calls a better game. Oh, the other thing I wanted to get to real quickly here is the Red Sox fatal flaw in terms of their offense so far this season. And look, we can get into the chase rate and all that stuff. But the more important thing to me is this. The Red Sox have this. Rare ability to make starting pitchers that aren't very good look like the best starting pitchers we've ever seen. Like Ross Stripling tonight, they somehow made that guy look like Greg Maddox in his prime. And if you look at it on the season, Stripling was not a good pitcher. Stripling so far this year, and he's never been a good pitcher in his career. So coming into tonight, he had five strikeouts in his 10 innings. An 11.9 percent strikeout rate. He's not a strikeout pitcher. 11.9 percent is horrible. You look at him tonight. He had seven strikeouts. Seven of them. He had a 35. You do the math on that. 35 percent strikeout rate. So he had an 11.9 percent strikeout entering tonight. Tonight against the Red Sox, he had a 35 percent strikeout rate. If you just look at how often he's getting a whiff when guys swing at his pitches. On the season, he was at sixteen point seven percent. Horrible. Tonight, the Red Sox—they swung at forty-five pitches. They whiffed on seventeen of them against Ross Stripling. That's thirty-eight percent. So again, normally he's at sixteen point seven. He was at thirty-eight percent tonight, and this is not a rare occurrence for the Red Sox. Do you realize this season only one starting pitcher has given up four earned runs against the Red Sox? Because I know they got to Erod, but Erod, remember, he gave up seven runs. But five of them were unearned because he had that whole situation. He probably felt like he was playing for the Red Sox last year because he had no run support last year. He had a horrible defense as well. But you get the overwhelming point. Only one guy. They've lit up for four earned runs. In fact, after tonight, there has now been nine times where the opponent's starting pitcher has given up one earned run or less. Think about that. The Red Sox have now played, what, they're 8-11. and They're 19 So, we're talking about almost half the games the Red Sox have played this year. The starting pitcher has given up one earned run or less. And they had an opportunity tonight, and it's really pissed me off, where the Red Sox had an opportunity there to break this freaking game open. Top of the third inning, Ploeki singles, story singles. Verdugo flies out on a changeup. Okay, fine, whatever, one out. Bogarts then singles. Bases loaded with one out. Rafael Devers comes up, down on strikes. J.D. Martinez comes up, down on strikes. See, those are the middle-of-your-order hitters, three and four. And look, Devers had a couple of hits tonight. J.D. had a hit tonight. But that was the opportunity to put up a crooked number and knock Ross stripling out of the game. Now, the reality is the Red Sox won, so that's great. It didn't matter in the long run. But these are the things that they continue to do. They're not hitting with runners in scoring position most of the season. And, in fact, if you look at it with the bases loaded, they don't have a hit this year. So they've got to be better in those situational times in the game. Now, the one thing I will say, I'll give them credit because later on, when the reliever came in, they got to him, Thornton, but the problem is they're not getting to starting pitchers. I mean, think about some of these guys that have mowed down the Red Sox this season. Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy, who the Red Sox historically had absolutely clobbered one earned run. Kevin Gosman, okay, that's fine. Like, that guy's freaking nasty. I get that. But you say Kikuchi, who had the worst hard hit rate, balls off the bat, 95 plus miles an hour last year. That guy goes out there and doesn't give up an earned run against you. Joe Ryan, nobody knew who the hell he was before he started for the Twins against the Red Sox. That guy that was like six foot eight. Sonny Gray, who the Red Sox have historically banged up, two earned runs. So this is Tyler Alexander. I didn't even know who the hell that guy was. He doesn't give up an earned run against the Red Sox. Or I should say he gives up one earned run. Matt Manning gave up one earned run. So it's just, I mean, these are the guys. Like, okay, McClanahan, you can live with. That guy's filthy. You can live with Berrios, although I feel like they had opportunities to get after Berrios. They didn't do it. Kevin Gosman, you can live with that. But other than that, Gray, Bundy, Erod, Montgomery. Now, eventually they got to Erod, Tyler Alexander, Matt Manning, Yusei Kakuchi, Bailey Ober. Nobody knew who the hell that guy was either. Joe Ryan. Like, these are starting pitchers that the Red Sox last year were teeing off on. And for whatever reason this year, They're not getting off to quick starts, and I do continually come back to the fact that they don't have a guy in the lineup, and I'm not saying they would have signed this guy to a $79 million contract like he got, and he's not playing well this year. He did get kicked out of Sunday Night Baseball, which I kind of enjoyed. But Kyle Schwarber brought a different look to this offense. Cora referenced it all the time last year, that he gave the team a different look because he took pitches, he took walks. He had a 23% walk rate with the Red Sox. The Red Sox, prior to him getting here, had about an 8.4% walk rate, Once he made his debut, that was up to 9.7, and from that point on, that was third in baseball in terms of walk rate as a team. The Red Sox, who weren't walking at all, they don't have a guy in the lineup that is a high on base percentage guy because of his walks. Schwarber was that. You have high on base percentage guys, Bogarts, because he mashes, right? But you don't have that guy that takes walks. And the one other thing i would say real quickly, you know who does that? Cassius. He has an incredible command of the strike zone. Another reason to bring this guy up. All right, 617-779, 793-7, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. If you want to weigh in on the Bogart situation, will the Red Sox sign him long-term? That's on the table. Is it time to give Ploweki more playing time instead of Christian Vasquez? Also on the table, Christian Cassis. Do they need him up now? And I do want to get to one other thing. Alex Cora was asked today about how they're going to use Garrett Whitlock moving forward. We'll get to it next here in EI. Everything Boston Red Sox. This is Red Sox Review on WEEI.
3: Actually, the plan was for him to start on Thursday. Uh, as you know, uh, you know, we have our situation with vaccination, and it is what it is, but there's other situations that came into the equation, right? Uh, with our team and some of our players, uh, with, I'll say it, you know, with Rich. You know, he had his situation, his family situation. We have to actually audible twice. With, uh, with our pitching staff, and that's the reason, you know, we had to start uh, Garrett on Saturday. That's the reason he has to start, actually, on Thursday. Uh, we had our plan coming in, but uh, obviously it's not a perfect world. And uh, like I said, you know, we had to audible again, and uh, this is where we had. Uh, he pitched on Saturday. It was going to be, you know, we, we have to take care of the team, but at the same time, his health. And for him to bounce back yesterday uh, to, to just pitch one inning, Uh, I I don't think it was fair for him. You know, uh, he's very important for us, for our program, and uh, I I get it. You know, uh, we're not winning games. We're struggling, but uh, it's only a part of the season. You know, we're playing 162, and as you guys know, Garrett uh, Whitlock over uh, over 162 games healthy is actually the most important thing for
0: us. From the manager, Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. Garrett Whitlock's the most important thing to us. I mean, that tells you the regard they hold this guy in. I mean, think about it. Last time out, the guy threw 48 pitches, and he got 12 outs. It took him 48 pitches to get 12 outs. It may it may take Jake Diekman the rest of the season to get 12 outs, and Whitlock did it on 48 pitches. I cannot wait to see him pitch tomorrow, and I believe now you're at a point with the Red Sox where he needs to go into the rotation. I was all in on this rover roll having pitch multiple times a week, but the reality is this, you just can't plan for it. You can't plan for it to be a situation where you know you're winning in, say, the fifth inning and you want him to piggyback somebody because that's what they tried to do earlier this season. So the problem is, okay, well, what if Rich Hill goes out there and he gets lit up and you're down five to nothing? Well, then what are you pitching Garrett Whitlock the next day? So I do feel like having him in the rotation because of the fact that the bullpen, most of the guys outside of Whitlock and Robles have not been strong to a lesser degree. Those guys have not been reliable. So if that's the case, you need to get more innings out of your starters. Like tonight, you got six out of Waka. So when you look at it in totality, having Whitlock be in the rotation is going to take more innings off those guys in the bullpen if you do the math in terms of the total season, so to speak. So that does make sense to me now. I was with the rover roll, and if you had Sale and you had Paxton right now, I would love to see Whitlock and Tanner Houck in that role where they're sort of those rovers. But right now, you can't afford to not have Whitlock at the rotation based on the rest of the bullpen, right? I mean, it just feels like that's the position the organization is in right now. Quite frankly, if you were going to consider taking somebody out of the rotation, I would do that with Houck. Take Houck out of the rotation because he's going to piggyback over the weekend. Like, I'd rather have Houck being in the piggyback role than when you look at the situation with Garrett Whitlock. Because I know Garrett Whitlock, I have more faith he can go through the lineup multiple times than Hulk. Hulk doesn't have his command right now. He has been horrible in terms of his first pitch strike percentage is 49%. That's one of the worst in the sport. 617-779-7937, the number. And we know Whitlock, all he does is throw strikes. He's a strike-throwing machine. That's the opposite of a guy like Tanner Hulk. Let's get to David in Florida. David, you're not eating, right?
2: No, no, just finish eating. Okay. No, no, I,
4: I'm, I'm, I'm finally, I'm, I'm. You're encouraging, Brian. The past couple of days, I mean, I mean, you're beginning to see the light, and I'm happy for you. Congratulations. About I, I, what?
2: Mean, I mean, you, you,
4: I like I said before, I mean, the Schwaber effect. It's gone in one ear and out the other. For the for the six weeks they had them last year, the offense looked like looked like, looked like they were intelligent. Now they have just gone back to.
0: To idiot land.
4: Well, uh, I've always I, David.
0: They, you, David, I mean that's unfair of you to say that. I've always liked Schwarber. I always did. I mean, come on, you gotta no, agree with me.
4: Yes, I like Schwarber too. Yeah. that's what I'm saying. But, yeah. but 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 now that he's gone, now that he's gone, they've they, they, they've completely disengaged. They just either they, they don't believe in it or they just don't know how to. And they're just idiots. They're one-dimensional players. I right, come on, they David. Like idiots before, come on. Yes, idiots. They're idiots. They,
3: I mean, thank like you for right. that. Hey, look, the I appreciate voted. the
0: call, David, but I'm just going to we're not going to do this. They're idiots. I mean, come on. They have a different approach than Kyle Schwarber. I wish they had more guys in the lineup that had the approach with Schwarber, but I'm not going to call them idiots. Let's get to Art in Connecticut. What's up, Art? Hey, real quick, right. Um, you uh, I am with you 100%
3: on Whitlock. Stretch him out. Put him in a starting rotation. I mean, find figure out something else. Um, for the back, for the back end, uh, Whitlock—you got to stretch him
0: out, make him a starter. Right, I, I believe 100%. Yeah, at Second this point too. Is... At this point too, Art. I mean, you got to do it based on where the bullpen's at. Like, I love the rover rule at the beginning, but the problem is, I feel like you're wasting him because 48 pitches, 12 outs. I, I can't wait to see what he does tomorrow when he gets like—I would assume, unless something crazy happens, like he doesn't pitch well, which I don't imagine that would happen. I assume he gets 65 to 70 tomorrow, and then the next time out, maybe he gets up to that 90. Man, you got Nate. I mean, you got Nate. You don't know what you are going to get from Chris when he comes
3: back. I mean, if Whitlock is that dude, I mean, he he he, he could be a top of the rotation guy. I mean, I I, I I'm stretching him out. Uh, quick thing is, Rizzo.
0: Are you surprised Rizzo's doing that first base with the Yankees? Uh, he's a good player. No, so not really. Eight home runs. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean and I they mean, were remember they were in on Freeman, and he was their backup plan. Oh wow. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah, oh yeah they were they were uh, in heavy on Freeman and then Freeman ended up going to the Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah, and the last thing, I know you're you're pretty close to it here.
3: Um you can scream it every night you come on here. Scream that bring that
0: first baseman up here. I I can't take it anymore. Bring that kid up here. It's have like, "Alright, like, we've seen it too much with Dahlback. I mean, how many times do I have to watch a guy strike out? How many times do I have to watch him not come close to touching the ball? I just can't do it anymore. I'm sorry. This is the Red Sox. I know. All right, bro. Good night. Have a good one, Art. Right. Yeah, it's just, I, look, I, I I hate to keep, like, harping on this because I don't have anything against Bobby Dalback. Like, he's, it's not like he has issues in the club. He's a great guy. Like, I'm not saying anything like that. It's just he's not good enough to play first base for the Boston Red Sox. I'm sorry he's not. And, look, I did like the idea that somebody threw out earlier, trade him for a different prospect that's in a similar situation, kind of like a challenge trade. Well, he's not working out here. This guy's not I wouldn't mind that at all because you're not going to get anything of significance back for Bobby Dalback at this particular point in time. Just, I mean, what would somebody give up for him? It's almost going to have to be like a Chavis-type situation where you get a reliever like an Austin Davis. And I'm not saying it has to be a reliever, but that type of trade, so to speak, not a guy with a big pedigree. All right, thanks to Joe and Justin for producing tonight. I will be back with you tomorrow for pregame early. 207, 307 first. I cannot wait for this game tomorrow. I cannot wait to watch Garrett Whitlock start again. Have a great night, everybody. Be safe and be well.